On Friday, Donald Trump made the supposedly crucial error of holding a phone call with the president of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen. Since 1979, the United States has held a policy of studied neutrality with regard to the question of Taiwanese independence. We've sort of agreed in principle with the one China rhetoric that the commie Chinese espoused, but we fiercely prevented China from aggressive action against Taiwan. Trump's phone call with Taiwan was supposedly, therefore, a breach of both decorum and policy expertise, which is truly frightening, supposedly. Well, all of that's idiotic, okay? Barack Obama spent his presidency overthrowing well-calibrated foreign policy on behalf of concessions to evil regimes, from handing Iran hundreds of billions of dollars to continue promoting terrorism, to handing Russian dictator Vlad Putin control of Crimea and Syria, from reinforcing the crumbling Castro regime in Cuba to weakening America's military and thus opening the doorway to Chinese aggression in the South China Sea, Obama's foreign policy has been basically a near endless procedures of placing our enemies in a beneficial position. Trump making a phone call to Taiwan, that's kind of the opposite. As I wrote last week, Trump either knows what he's doing with Taiwan or he really doesn't. If he does, if his goal is to demonstrate to the Chinese that detente is ending thanks to their aggression, that's not the worst thing in the world. That's actually a pretty good thing. China's been building a regional sphere of influence that is only set to expand as Trump pulls out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, opening the door for Chinese interests in Southeast Asia. Trump making clear that security threats to American allies in the region will not be tolerated, that would be a real positive. Well, if Trump's goal is to use Taiwan as leverage against China in economic warfare, however, that is a foolish thing. Taiwan deserves our support against China not to be sold out in order to thwart supposed Chinese trade manipulation. What about if Trump has no goal? If, as he seems to state on Twitter, he's just winging it? Well, then we'll find out. Either he'll back down or he won't, and that will be the policy. But the sheer panic over the Taiwan phone call is overblown. We don't know yet what the call presages. If it's just amateur hour, sure, we should be worried. But even if it is amateur hour, Obama, the supposed professional, blew it worse, did Trump, worse than Trump did purposefully with nefarious intent over and over again. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, so much to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. Uh, there will be some some good Trump, bad Trump. We'll get to that in just a second. That will basically be the theme of today's show as well as of the next four years. And a lot to get to about sort of the, the perversion of conservatism and the soul-sucking of the Republican Party. We'll talk about a lot of that. Plus, the Democrats continue to be completely in disarray. But first, we have to say hello to our friends Ring.com. So every 13 seconds in the United States, there's a home burglary. And one of the ways that home burglars get access to your house is they ring the doorbell, and then if they figure nobody's home, they break in. They don't want to confront you. They don't want to be dealing with you with a shotgun on the other side of the door. Ring.com helps prevent this procedure. If they ring the doorbell, then you can pick up the doorbell anywhere you are. It rings direct to your phone. There's a camera so you can see who it is that's at your door, and they will think that you're at home so they won't break in. Plus, it allows you to know who's, uh, who's knocking at the front door, which is obviously a useful thing. When I'm away and my kids are at home, my wife's at home, I like to be able to know who's at home uh, and whether my kids and wife are safe or not. Uh, Ring.com makes that happen. They also have what they call the Ring of Security Kit, and the Ring of Security Kit includes a radio, Ring video doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam uh, with wireless weatherproof HD camera that keeps an eye on other parts of your property. Again, Ring.com is one of these advertisers I have that's so good that I actually spent my own money on their product. I went out and bought extra product from them because I, I believe in their product so much. Ring.com is the place to go. And use slash Ben. Ring.com slash Ben. You get $150 off of that Ring of Security Kit. So that's a pretty significant discount. Ring.com slash Ben. Millions of homeowners, including me, use Ring. Use ring.com slash Ben for that promotional discount. Okay, tons to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. We begin, you know, why don't we just play the good Trump, bad Trump theme up front? Because that's basically the theme of the program, so we may as well just have fun with it. Good Trump, 
Good Trump, bad Trump. Woo! Okay, so we start with good Trump. So good Trump is really sort of mediocre Trump, and that is Donald Trump and the whole Taiwanese debacle. So the media are really overplaying their hand here. The media are making a huge deal out of the fact that Donald Trump picked up the phone when the president of Taiwan called. As I say, there are really only three ways that, to break this down. Way number one, he's adult and he just picked up the phone not knowing who's on the other end. Unlikely, possible. Possibility number two, he has a cohesive, thought-out policy. He's trying to tick off the Chinese. He's trying to tell them that he will not be stopped by their, by their aggression. That would be really good. Way number three is that he's actually saying all these tough things about Taiwan because he wants to broker a better trade deal with China. Still not my favorite thing because that would basically be using Taiwan as a chit in some sort of trading game. Not my favorite thing, but we don't know the answer to any of this yet, so we can sort of hold off judgment. Is it good? Is it bad? We don't know. So this is sort of mediocre Trump. Mike Pence hits it right on the head. The vice president-elect hits it right on the head when he says, listen, all you people in the media, you're going nuts over this stuff. But the fact is that Barack Obama and what he did with Cuba, you were fine with. It, it's a little mystifying to me that, that President Obama can can reach out uh, to a murdering dictator in, in Cuba in the last year uh, and be hailed as a hero for doing it. And uh, President-elect Donald Trump takes a courtesy call from a democratically elected leader in Taiwan, and it's become it's become something of a controversy. But I think the okay, and that's exactly right. The fact is that the, the media were head over heels. When Barack Obama trotted out a literal fiction to them about the Iran deal, uh, they were they were just in love with with Obama. Even though the Bataclan attack was was happening in France at the same time that, that Obama was visiting Cuba, he went to a baseball game. They were cool with that. The media have been fine with every stupid thing that Obama has done his entire presidency, and so it seems a little bit hypocritical for them to get so upset now. Now, one of the things I'm going to say on the program today, and this is a consistent principle, I feel like we sort of have to in the in the aftermath of Trump's victory, we sort of have to go back to first moral principles in order to determine how we're going to cover this, right? Because the fact is, the way I see it, we don't root for politicians here on The Ben Shapiro Show. We don't, because this isn't a sports game, okay? I'm not interested in the personal victory or loss of Donald Trump. I'm much more interested in the principles I espouse and whether he represents them. Now that he's president-elect, I would like him to act all of the good conservative things he promised and some good conservative things. I would like to see him not do silly things. So what I've said, and I said this on Twitter over the weekend, this is not baseball, right? Don't root for the team, root for the principal. Okay, that's number one. Number two, a game that we should not get in the habit of playing is the game, well, I'll start worrying about Trump doing X when the Democrats stop doing X, right? So I'll stop worrying about Trump being an amateur when the Democrats stop being amateuristic. Okay, this is, this is puerile logic. It's childish logic. I should be worried about the president-elect of the United States doing things I don't like, whether or not the Democrats are doing things I don't like. I assume the Democrats and the media will do things I don't like. So when we get to bad Trump in just a second, I'm going to explain that this sort of this sort of silly logic, which doesn't make any sense, this notion that when Trump does something bad, it's okay because Democrats have also done that bad thing. It just doesn't work. I, I don't like that argument in any sense. But but Pence is right that the media's treatment of of Pence is right in the sense that the media's treatment of Obama, their willingness to overlook all of his foreign policy sins and then call it crazy, just crazy, when Trump picks up the phone with Taiwan, that's that's totally out of their, they're out of their minds. John Bolton, who's uh, up for Secretary of State, 
Uh, he, uh, he visited, I guess, Trump Tower on Friday, so he's sort of back in the mix. They announced, by the way, there are a bunch of new people who are up for it. Also, they said John Huntsman, a former ambassador to China under President Obama, that he might be up for it. He came out today and came out in favor of what Trump had done with Taiwan. Uh, Rex Tillerson, who's the CEO of Exxon, very warm toward Vladimir Putin. Uh, he's up for Secretary of State Dana Rohrabacher, who is a congressman from California, nice guy, very pro-Putin. Very pro uh, he's up for Secretary of State, apparently. Uh, and so the, the, the field expands. Now, I, I really think that we're going to end up with somebody who is in the original field. I think this is sort of a Trumpian reality TV show moment where he just expands the field in week five of the reality TV show and then windows it back down to the person that he thought was going to win all along. My guess is that in the end, this is going to come down again to John Bolton, Rudy Giuliani, Mitt Romney, some of the original picks. But I could be surprised, obviously. This is why they, this is why reality TV shows get good ratings, because we don't know what's happening next. Anyways, Bolton said that Beijing should not decide who he gets to talk to, and what Trump did is just fine. The president of the United States should talk to whomever he wants if he thinks it's in the interest of the United States. And nobody in Beijing gets to dictate who we talk to. And, uh, and Trump echoed that on Twitter, and I think that's right. Listen, if he picks Bolton for Secretary of State, I'm a happy camper. Bolton at State, Madison Defense, that would be, that'd be terrific. But, but then, we start getting to, then we start getting to bad Trump. Then we start getting to bad Trump. And bad Trump is the stuff that he's been doing about the economy. So I mentioned last Thursday, we talked about the deal that he did with Carrier, where he basically wheedled, threatened, cajoled them into keeping a thousand jobs in Indiana. And then everybody went, it's yay, Donald, you did a great job keeping a thousand jobs. And I said, hold up a second. We have to figure out how he kept the thousand jobs there. And if he kept the thousand jobs there in a bad way, that is something that we should call out. Because again, I'm not in the business of it's okay when Democrats do it. It's bad when Democrats do it, but it's okay when we do it. That's not something I'm interested in. Barack Obama regularly threatened companies, insurance companies, banks, the, the auto manufacturers. He, he threatened them on a regular basis all the time. And by threatening them, he would get them to do what he wanted. And I would say that's economic fascism because that's what it is. If you look back to Mussolini, if you look back to Hitler, if you look back to any of the – if you look to Franco, if you look at any of the fascist states of Europe, the way that they did business was through something called corporatism. Corporatism was the idea that the government could leverage private businesses into doing what they wanted and they could also bribe private businesses into doing what they wanted. That's not something I'm for. The government has no place picking winners and losers. The government has no place threatening businesses for engaging in open market activity. Open market activity, free market activity makes better products for cheapers for consumers. The idea that Carrier, just that, that something wonderful happened to Carrier because a thousand jobs stayed in the United States, not because of lower tax rates, not because of broader, better economic climate, but just because Trump basically threatened them, that's a very nasty thing. And Trump basically doubled down on that over the weekend. So over the weekend, here are some of his tweets. He tweeted, Rex Nord of Indiana is moving to Mexico and rather viciously firing all of its 300 workers. This is happening all over our country. No more. Okay, this is economic fascism. Okay, they're not viciously firing their 300 workers. Donald Trump has fired workers before, too. In fact, as I recall, his slogan on TV was, you're fired. If I, it was, you're fired. If you don't remember that, just look at an old tape from five years ago, three years ago, right? It was, you're fired. Was he vicious? It was vicious. But according to Trump, it's vicious because he doesn't want them to do it. This is the language of economic totalitarianism, the idea that you, you're viciously firing your workers. Okay, Rex Nord 
is participating in a shift of jobs away from expensive unionized areas out of the country. That, by the way, will keep some people employed at Rexnord in the United States. The alternative, presumably, is for them to continue to shell out large dollars for these unions, to shell out large dollars for these jobs, never to outsource, to go out of business, and everybody's unemployed anyway, and the American company no longer produces products for people that are good, and we no longer get any tax revenue. So those are the alternatives, okay? The way that free market economics works, you're going to move your, your jobs where the jobs are the cheapest and the best. That's a good thing. It means that people get to consume products at a better price. It also means that those companies stay competitive in the global marketplace, which allows them to grow and thrive. No company grows and thrives simply based on protectionism. The minute that the tariffs are taken away, they collapse. That's exactly what happened to the automakers in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s in the United States. We used to be the world's dominant automakers. In the 70s and the 60s, there were, high, there were severe protectionism was put in place for the auto industries. Unionization took place. Really, really bad union contracts were signed. And then when those protections were removed, then the auto industry basically collapsed with all the Toyotas flowing into the country. That's what happened to the auto industry. Corporatism, tariffs, all that does is build up these bloated, overweight industries that are shivved as soon as they have to enter into a global marketplace. But here is Trump targeting Rexnord, saying they're viciously firing, like they're sitting around, like the bosses are sitting around, they're going, you know what, it'd be cheaper to keep the jobs here in Indiana, but screw that, screw those workers, we hate those guys, fire them all, let's go to Mexico. Nobody does that, but this sort of language, this charged language, this populist nonsense, it really is kind of gross. And then Trump continued, here's some more of his tweets, he tweeted, and this was his policy tweets, and this is nonsense. He says, the U.S. is going to substantially reduce taxes and regulations on businesses, but any business that leaves our country for another country, fires its employees, builds a new factory or plant in the other country, and then thinks it will sell its product back into the U.S. without retribution or consequence is wrong. Okay, the language of punishment, again, the federal government is going to punish you for engaging in free market activity. And I wonder if he's going to punish all the auto companies for moving jobs out of Detroit, even if they went bankrupt. He says, there will be a tax on our soon-to-be-strong border of 35% for these companies wanting to sell their products, cars, AC units, etc., back across the border. This tax will make leaving financially difficult, but these companies are able to move between all 50 states with no tax or tariff being charged. Please be forewarned prior to making a very making a very expensive mistake. And then all caps, the United States is open for business. I've said this is like building an economic Berlin Wall, and it is. The idea is to keep the business inside the United States, even at the cost of bankrupting the business. Right, because the only way that you're going to be able to make the businesses in the United States competitive, if you tell them they can't outsource their labor, is by increasing tariffs on foreign products, right? Increasing the tax on foreign products, which means you and I, all the consumers, we now have to spend lots and lots of money to keep these jobs in the United States, okay? which is stupid. Because the jobs stay in the United States in different sectors. That doesn't mean everybody's a winner in the global economy. Of course, that's not true. It doesn't mean every sector is a winner in the global economy. Of course, that's not true. At the beginning of the republic, 90% of the people living in the United States were farming. Today, it's 3%. What happened to all the farmers? Well, they paid in the global economy. They did. Well, what happened to all the people who manufactured the, the, the wagons that preceded the cars? Well, they all went out of business. Does that mean that we ought to just put tariffs on cars and destroy the car industry to make sure that the wheel rights union still gets their pay? Of course not. That's silly. And if we really want to make sure that, quote unquote, jobs stay in the United States, regardless of the quality of jobs or the quality of the product, 
What we really should do is be on technology. Amazon Go just came out with these really amazing grocery stores where apparently you can walk in, your products off the shelf, stick them in a bag, and walk out. You don't have to pay. They can, the, the computers are able to, to gauge what products you took and then just charge it to you directly. So you never have to worry about a checkout line. You don't have to worry about uh, waiting in line or even self-scanning. You don't have to do any of that stuff anymore, which is super cool. Presumably, Trump would want to ban that kind of stuff, or if not, he'd have to explain why this is different. He'd want to ban that sort of stuff to make sure that the groceries still have, are able to hire lots of people. This is the problem, okay? The purpose of an economy is not to create jobs. The purpose of an economy is to create the best products at the lowest possible price, and that in turn creates jobs, because in order to create those products, in order to have people who buy those products, you need to have people who have jobs, right? But the idea that you just want the only indicator of an, the health of an economy is the unemployment rate is absolute stupidity. It's always been stupidity. The Soviet Union had a 100% percent employment rate, a 0% unemployment rate, and everybody was impoverished. Cuba has a 100% employment rate because it's a communist country, so they can just force everybody into labor or call them employees for sitting on a park bench and playing dominoes. The point of an economy is not to create jobs. The point of an economy is to create products and services that you and I want to trade with each other to make both our lives better. An economy that only seeks to create jobs is not worried about making everybody's life better. It's worried about making some people's life better. An economy that worries about creating better products and services, that's an economy Economy that is a voluntaristic economy where you and I can engage in trade and barter and come up with the best possible solutions for ourselves. That's a free market economy. Trump apparently is not super in favor of that. This thing he says at the very end where he says, the United States is open for business. Let me tell you something. If I have an open for business sign on my door, usually there's not an asterisk. And then below that, it's written, and if you don't come in here and do business, then we'll threaten you. Or if you come in here, decide the product is too expensive, and then you leave, we'll threaten you. He, Trump wants this big, beautiful Berlin Wall of the economy. And what's amazing about this is that so many people are falling into this. So Mike Pence, who I've, I'm really disappointed in so far. I mean, he was supposed to be the guy who we voted for, essentially, right? He was the one who was going to, to make sure that conservatism won the day in the end. That was the idea. Pence is now fully embracing the Trumpian economics, which are bad economics. Again, they have nothing to do with reality. He, he apparently said to the New York Times last week, quote, the free market has been sorting it out and America has been losing. And then Trump said, every time, every time. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. America is the most powerful country in human history, not because it's protectionist, okay? Protectionist countries do not thrive. They don't. I got into an argument with a guy from Market Watch about this over the weekend. I said, name the countries that have become wealthy based on tariffs and building infrastructure. And he said, China. And I said, that's absolutely false. They had tariffs and they were building infrastructure back during Mao's day. The difference is they actually took some market liberalizing steps. They privatized a bunch of property. They privatized a bunch of businesses. And they still have significant debt problems. And they've had two stock market crashes in the last year. The idea that China is an economic rival to the United States not on a per capita basis, they sure as hell aren't, and they enslave a, million, a billion people in order to do it. In the Wall Street Journal, apparently, Penn said, quote, a Trump White House would eschew many of the free market principles that have guided prior Republican administrations, including injecting itself into the personnel and long-term operating decisions of individual companies. That's economic fascism. It's no different from what Obama has done. It's no different from what Hillary would have done. It's no different from what fascists of the past have done. I mean, seriously, injecting the government into personnel and long-term operating decisions of individual companies? Of the individual companies? And then on Sunday, here's what Mike Pence had to say about Donald Trump's economics. I think what you're going to see, and the president-elect will make those decisions on a, 
on a on a day by day basis in the in the course of the transition, in the course of the administration. So you can make these decisions a on a on a day by day basis. Isn't that picking winners and losers? I mean, Sarah Palin calls it crony capitalism. No, I, I don't think it's picking winners and losers at all. What what the what the president-elect uh, did with Carrier was simply reach out one American to another and just ask them to reconsider. He told them, we're going to do exactly what we said we would do in this campaign. We're going to make the American economy more competitive. We're going to get tougher and smarter on trade deals. And that was changed circumstances yeah. from when and they made their says, decision. I don't think it's picking winners and losers. He just reached out one American to another. Really? Divide called up Kerry and said, guys, can you not shift those jobs down south? What I'd like for you to do is instead take a $65 million loss and maybe get like $7 million in tax benefits from the state of India, but basically lose $58 million. Because as one American to another, I'm just asking you. No, it turns out that that's not what happened. What happened here is that Donald Trump called up Carrier and he threatened them. That's what happened. And what's amazing is how many people are okay with this. It's all fine because Trump's a big victory guy. Trump's the big victory guy. Principles out the window. We have to root for Trump personally, not for principles we want to see espoused. We have to root for him personally on a personal level. We have to sit here and we have to pray for him to succeed, not for his policies to succeed, but for him personally to succeed. So Glenn Reynolds, who I usually love, Glenn Reynolds is a libertarian instapundit. Here's what he wrote celebrating the carrier deal. Quote, Trump went ahead and delivered a conspicuously kept campaign promise that benefits the little guy, sends a signal of caring that talk of macroeconomics does not. FDR knew this. His New Deal economic policies were mostly snake oil. According to a study by UCLA economists, they actually prolonged the Great Depression by seven years. But FDR made people feel like he cared, even though he was a rich man from New York who had never been poor himself. Now another rich man from New York seems to be repeating the formula. FDR gave the Democrats two decades of political dominance. Today's Democrats should be worrying. Trump could do the same for the Republican Party. Well, I have a question. Shouldn't Republicans be worrying that FDR is back in the White House, except he's calling himself a Republican? I mean, come on. He's, he's, I mean, here he is. Here is a libertarian, Glenn Reynolds, openly saying Trump is engaging in FDR New, a New Deal style snake oil. Right? I mean, he calls it snake oil, but that's OK, because at least it pisses off the Democrats. OK, I don't care about pissing off Democrats. I care about doing the right thing. If that pisses off Democrats, that's their problem. But this is really dangerous stuff. Here's the editorial board for Investors Business Daily. Quote, it is about the carrier deal. It means an end to eight years in which President Obama, instead of supporting U.S. companies, arrogantly scolded business leaders and treated business as either piggy banks to be raided or as enemies to be brought to heel through regulations and mandates. Wait, wait, the carrier deal did that? That's what Trump just did that. He just scolded a business leader and then treated a business as a piggy bank to be raided or as an enemy to be brought to heel. He just tweeted one second ago, Rex Nord of Indiana is moving to Mexico and viciously firing its 300 workers. Does that sound like a guy who's trafficking in the free markets? Does that sound like that to you? Now again, I hope and I pray that Donald Trump reverses himself on this. But in order for him to do that, if you want him to have a successful presidency, you need no snake oil. You need an economic policy that favors free trade. You need an economic policy that doesn't favor the sort of garbage that he's been selling people. I understand that he was lying to people during the campaign. You should, too. He was. When he was going into blue-collar areas and saying, I'm going to bring back all your jobs at no cost. We're just going to tariff it up the wazoo, and everything will be hunky-dory. That's not how economics works. And maybe that snake oil sells. Doesn't mean it's not snake oil. And I'm in the business of trying to tell the truth, and I believe that the American people, when they hear the truth, will understand the truth. Because if we don't believe that truth means anything, if we don't believe that the truth can win out, then what the hell are we doing in this business? Why not just be Democrats? Why not just lie to everybody all the time? Why not sell them a bill of goods that's never going to come due? And then, I guess we'll win a lot. And yay, we'll have 20 years of dominance. But this is, this is just such, it's such silliness. By the way, speaking of, of silliness, apparently uh, Ivanka Trump, 
who's remember Donald Trump said he was going to put his businesses in a blind trust to be run by his children. All three of his kids are now moving to D.C., so it's going to make that blind trust kind of awkward. Uh, and uh, Ivanka Trump met with Al Gore today at Trump Tower, and so apparently did Donald Trump. Apparently they had a long, extensive meeting about climate change. So this is all going beautifully. Now, we're going to continue over at DailyWire.com. This brings us to the end of Facebook and YouTube. But you should listen, of course, on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, and, uh, and we'll get to, to the Democrats imploding also. Um, but go to DailyWire.com, subscribe, you subscribe, become an annual subscriber today. Uh, then you still get a free copy of my novel, Signed, uh, True Allegiance. It's been doing really well. And uh, you're going to want to check it out. Plus, uh, you get access to the mailbag. You get to email me, and, and we'll email with each other. Same thing with, with Andrew Clavin's show. Uh, you get rid of the ads on the site. So all those annoying pop-up ads go away. Um, plus, we have plenty of goodies coming. I think in, in the next few weeks, we're going to have a Shapiro merchandise store, which should be really exciting. You get big discounts if you're, if you're an annual member. So go over to dailywire.com right now, become an annual member. And, uh, and thank you for, uh, for being part of the team that brings us the, the largest conservative podcast in America. Now, the situation on trade and economics, you know, all of that says to me uh, that we have a, a broader problem here. One of the things the media have been going nuts over today uh, is they've been going nuts over this story where a, a crazy 28-year-old guy named Edgar Madison Welch of Salisbury, North Carolina, apparently drove to Washington, D.C. with a shotgun and walked into the Comet Ping Pong and fired one blast before he was arrested. So why was he arrested? He was so why why was he there? Apparently he was there because of something called Pizzagate. So for people who don't follow insane conspiracy theories, the theory is that Comet Ping Pong it's owned by this big Democratic donor, and the theory is that from the back rooms of Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria, pedophilia is being engaged in. That there's that there's some sort of child underage sex ring that's being led by the Podesta brothers and by the leader uh, and by the owner of Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria. No proof that any of this is happening. It's all speculation. It's all based on the reading the signs, looking in the and looking in the in the pizzeria for for paintings that have weird associations and this kind of stuff. So this this nut job drives up there with a shotgun or a rifle and he fires a blast before he's arrested. And of course the media say the media have been saying that fake news is the problem. This is their shtick now. Fake news this, fake news that. Okay. Number one, when the media say fake news, what they really mean is news they don't like. So sometimes there is actual fake news. Sometimes we have to worry about actual fake news, right? I mean, this is one case where it's actual fake news. The problem is that the media, as always, are too broad and too simplistic. So they'll say the Daily Wire is fake news while we're, while we're busy debunking the fake news of Pizzagate, right? Um, that's, that's foolishness. But it does bring to bear a serious problem that we we're now seeing on both sides of the aisle, and that is the allegiance to truth is just gone. It's just gone. Now, Dick Cheney is celebrating the fact that Donald Trump has taken it to the media. I also think it's great that Donald Trump has taken it to the media. Now, former Vice President Cheney, he says Trump, Trump's Twitter feed, it means that he no longer needs to deal with the media at all. Here's, here's what Cheney had to say. Um, I think one of the reasons people get so concerned about the tweets is it's sort of a way around the press. He doesn't have to rely upon. Um, uh, rely upon. Uh, he's got his, his modern era, modern technology. He's the point where we don't need you guys anymore. Okay, so, you know, that, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Most Americans thrill to the idea that the media are no longer the gatekeepers. The problem is that just because the media should not be the exclusive gatekeepers doesn't mean that you should disbelieve everything the media says. There's a tweet that some Trump person wrote this morning where he basically, Jared Wynan, I think his name is, he tweeted something out to the effect of, 
if the media is paying so much attention to Pizzagate, that means it must be true. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all, right? That's, the, the media paid a lot of attention to the, to the theory that Steve Bannon was actually an anti-Semite and a racist, and that's not true, but it didn't matter. They, they still paid a lot of attention to it. But again, because people are so upset with the media, because people are so upset with the left and, and believe that the left lies to them all the time, they're now willing to engage in, in lies from the right. And this is what I was saying earlier. You can't say, I don't care about Pizzagate. I'm not going to care about Pizzagate until the left starts condemning Black Lives Matter, hands up, don't shoot. Well, why can't I care about both? Why, I don't understand. Why can't, why can't I say that Pizzagate is false and also hands up, don't shoot was crap? Both of those are true. Wouldn't that be more intellectually consistent? But if you're a partisan hack, then this sort of logic works. And the fact is that, that, you know, that, that unfortunately, there's a tendency inside the Trump, and I will say it's unique to Trump. There's, there's a tendency inside the Trump administration and among the people who surround him to engage in things that are just not true. Uh, and a lot of people have been falling over backwards in an attempt to defend that. It really is, it really is devastating because truth should still be a priority again. If you believe we have to let go, then I think that we've defeated the purpose of, of small R republicanism. If you believe that the people are too stupid to be able to govern themselves, then presumably, uh, then I don't know why you're saying that, that Trump's election was a referendum on the left or on anything, because obviously the people are just doing whatever they feel like doing. It's not, it's not a principled thing. You know, Joe Scarborough was, was pointing out that, that General Michael Flynn, who's the, the national security advisor, he has a series of kind of conspiratorial tweets that are, that are bizarre world and people take seriously. General Flynn uh, uh, may have served uh, admirably under um, Barack Obama. Some people say that he was very well respected there. But he, he has left a trail of crap behind him uh, with, with retweets, uh, with uh, retweeting something about Jews, uh, retweeting something about Muslims, uh, retweeting fake news. Needs to clean this he's not up. Subject he needs. He's I, not know subject he's not. I know he's no, not. I know he's not. But he needs to step up and clean this up. I'm saying because he's not. He needs to apologize to Americans. Stop doing. He is in one of the I most agree. important positions in the White House. On January the 20th, he needs to apologize for what he has done. Unrelated to this fake news story, but with the other fake news stories, the, 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 the retweets about Jews, the retweets about uh, Muslims. Okay, and he's not entirely wrong. I mean, he, he's going over the top on, on Flynn with regards to, to Muslims, but as far as, as some of the other things that Flynn has said, yeah, I mean, Flynn has, has put out some pretty bizarre tweets. His son, Michael G. Flynn, Jr. He, uh, he put out this tweet this morning. Here, here's the tweet. Until Pizzagate proven to be false, it'll remain a story. The left seems to forget Podesta emails and the many coincidences tied to it. That's his son, who, by the way, is supposed to be one of his advisors, and I think has security clearance. Um, he, uh, the, the idea that, that he is tweeting out that Pizzagate is true until it's proved false, where I come from, that's not the way that proof works. I mean, you actually have to prove things true. You don't have to prove things false. You can't prove a negative. Basic logic suggest you can't prove a negative. If I call you a child molester and I say prove you're not, how are you going to do that? Can you account for everything? But if I just say that those five minutes you didn't account for, you were out molesting a kid. This is, this is silliness. This sort of aversion to the truth, because a lot of people surrounding Trump don't seem to care too much about it and they're fast and loose with it, that's not a good thing. But it seems to be taking over the Republican Party. And this is not something I think that we should be, that we should be humoring. I think that it's really kind of ugly. Uh, you know, so it's we saw it all over the weekend. It's it's a soul suck. It really is. I mean, it's 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 end justify the means kind of logic. We can lie if it gets us where we need to go. So over the weekend, 
the media were picking on a, a Trump silliness. And the, and the Trump silliness was that there were three million illegal votes cast in this election cycle. And it is silly. There is no proof of that. Okay, there was probably some voter fraud. There is no proof it was three million. There's no proof that all of those votes went for Hillary Clinton. There's no proof of that at all. You can speculate what you want, but there's no proof of that. And Trump didn't say probably. Uh, Trump didn't say probably there was voter fraud. He said he would have won except for the election fraud. Okay, and so it, the easiest thing to say would be. You know, Trump's overstating the case. There's election fraud, but we have no proof about the, the, the extent of the election fraud, and I wish he hadn't said it. Right? Not that hard to do. Not that hard to do. But every Republican now has to be roped into the game where everything Trump does must be defended, up to and including his lies. So here's Reince Priebus, his new White House chief of staff, talking about this particular lie. I mean, uh, you know, I saw the, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day, and it had a certain percentage of, of people that are voting that shouldn't be voting. There are estimates all over the map on that. And here's the problem. No one really knows. I mean, but you, you don't think millions that of people, true. You think millions of people it's voted possible. illegal? There is no evidence that it happened in millions of votes in California. I guess the question is, when you're president, can you just offer a theory that has no evidence behind it, or does he have to tighten up his standards of proof? I think he's done a great job. I think the president-elect is someone who has pushed the envelope and caused people to think in this country, is not taking conventional thought uh, on every single issue, and has caused people to look at things that maybe they've taken for granted. Um, you look at the flag-burning issue last yeah, week. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's a rather demagogic non sequitur, right? I mean, this is demagoguery. He's caused people to think. He's caused people to think. It doesn't matter that what he said is false. He caused people to think. And I think he's done a great job. What does it matter if he's done a great job? Does the great job mean, let's say he's doing a great job. Let's assume for a second he's doing a great job. I think he's doing a mixed bag of a job. Let's say he's doing a great job, the best job you've ever seen anybody do. Does it make it okay when bad things happen? There's this halo effect that, that happens psychologically for people. When you're in love with a girl, everything about her is just phenomenal. Everything. It doesn't matter that she was once a drug user. Right? Everything about her is just terrific. And when you're in love with a politician, there's a halo effect. Everything he does, we cannot question. Everything is spectacular. All the things are good. And to me, that's, that's worship, and there's silliness to that. That's, that doesn't make any sense. But there's this, now, this new temptation. Truth no longer matters. We live in a post-truth era. It used to be that the left was the side that assaulted truth. The left was the side that assaulted facts in favor of feelings. Now, apparently, there are people on the right who are willing to do it, too, if only to defend the, the untruths that are being uttered by, by Trump. And it's not just previous. Here's Mike Pence, again, that stalwart conservative doing the exact same thing. Is it responsible for a president-elect to make false statements like that? Well, I, I, look, I think I think four years ago, the uh, Pew Research Center found that there were millions of, uh, of uh, inaccurate voter registrations around. Yeah, but the, the author of the study of has election. said it is not any evidence about what happened in this but, election or any evidence of voter fraud. Look, I, I think what you know what is what what is historic here is that uh, our president-elect won 30 of 50 states. He won more counties uh, than any candidate on our side. Uh, since Ronald Reagan. And uh, and the fact that some partisans who are frustrated with the outcome of the election and disappointed with the outcome of the election are pointing to the popular vote, I can I can assure you, if this had been about the popular vote, uh, Donald Trump and I had been campaigning a whole lot more in Illinois and California and New York. And no one is questioning your victory. <laughs> Certainly, I'm not questioning your victory. I'm asking just about that tweet, which I'm going to say that he said uh, he would have won the popular vote if he deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. That statement is false. Why is it responsible to make it? Well, I, I think I think the president-elect just wants to call to call to attention the fact that, um, that 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 there has been evidence over over many years of that's of not voter what he fraud. said and. Uh, 
uh, and and expressing that reality. The Pew Research Center found evidence of that four years ago. It's, it's not certainly the found. certainly his right. You know, the, it's, it's his sorry, right. this is galling. It's galling chicanery. It's galling chicanery. And, and Trump and Pence is supposed to be the honest man in the room. Pence is supposed to be the one who speaks conservative truth. I thought we we're supposed to be the party of people who do it better. I thought we we're the party of values. And by the way, don't don't get it. I'm just ripping on people in the Trump administration. Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, he's doing the exact same thing. Here's Paul Ryan over the weekend now buying into the, the Trumpian notion that victory means that you can just fib about things and make them up. That he had actually won the popular vote if you deduct the millions who voted illegally. Do you believe that? I don't know. I, I'm not really focused on these things. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You you have an opinion on whether millions of Americans vote. I have illegally? no way of backing that up. I have no knowledge of such things. You don't believe but that. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. He won the election. It doesn't matter to me. He won the election. It doesn't matter to him whether whether Trump is saying something that's not true. I mean, probably should. But again, I think that it comes down to this idea that people want so badly to for, for their guy to to win, for their guy to get what they want him to get that they're willing to overlook any and all falsehood. And this is not good morality. It's just not moral. I'm sorry. It's not moral. It's not moral to say that lies are truths because the person who's lying is somebody you like. That's just not moral. Here's Corey Lewandowski himself, a man with a a rather rotten record of truth-telling over on CNN, talking about how Corey Lewandowski, here's what he had to say anyway. I don't think we have tape of this, but here's what Corey Lewandowski said uh, at a campaign postmortem. Quote, this is the problem with the media. You guys took everything that Donald Trump said so literally. The American people didn't. They understood it. They understood that sometimes when you have a conversation with people, whether it's around the dinner table or at a bar, you're going to say things, and sometimes you don't have all the facts to back it up. So I love that. So the idea is that if you just something that says something that feels true, you don't need facts to back it up. Now, as somebody who's addicted to facts, I will freely admit I, I mainline facts, okay? I am addicted to facts. I think that facts are the greatest thing that ever worked. Once you start destroying the idea of an objective fact, because we understand what you're saying, Mr. President, and we'll pretend that it's all true, even when it's not. There's no demagogue alive who can't take advantage of that. Even if you don't think Trump is a demagogue, even if you don't think that Trump is the danger, he may well not be. You've now opened up the entire country, both sides of the political aisle, to the idea that truth doesn't have to be truth because there's no such thing as truth. Andrew Clavin, my, my counterpart here in Daily Lawyer, he's fond of citing the portion of the New Testament where Pilate asks Jesus whether he's king of the Jews, and, and Jesus talks about being the, being, you know, the king of everything, essentially. Uh, and, and Pilate says, what is truth? He says, what is truth? There's no, such thing as, as, there's no such thing as truth, essentially. That's supposed to be the bad guy theme. There's no such thing as truth. Here's Scotty Nell Hughes, who's one of the spokespeople for the Trump campaign, uh, saying, no, 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 just like Pilate said, there's no such thing as truth. You've heard James Fallows talk about lies that Donald Trump has put out there in tweets, in things he said. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's also an idea of, of, of an opinion. And that's on one hand, I hear half the media saying that these are lies. But on the other half, there are many people that go, no, it's true. And so one thing that has been interesting this entire campaign season to watch is that people that say facts are facts, they're not really facts. Everybody has a way. It's kind of like looking at ratings or looking at a glass of half full water. Everybody has a way of interpreting them to be the truth or not truth. There's no such thing, unfortunately, more a fact. And so Mr. Trump's tweet amongst a certain crowd, a large, uh, a large, large part of the population are truth. When he says that millions of people illegally voted, he has some facts in his, in amongst him and his supporters, 
And people believe they have facts to back that up. Those that do not like Mr. Trump, they say that those are lies and there's no facts to back it up. But who's to say? Who's to say whether it's a fact or a lie? I mean, sure, Mr. Trump is tweeting this crap with no with no essence of truth to it. But yeah, I mean, what's the sure? What, what, what the hell? I mean, there's no such thing as facts. And Ben Carson, the new secretary of housing and urban development, he said the same thing. And, and this is, I think, the essence of it. Here's what Ben Carson had this is several months ago during all the hubbub over Trump's sexual assault allegations. Ben Carson's line here, I think, encapsulates the whole thing. Here's what here's what Dr. Carson had to say at the time. I want to push you on this allegations of sexual abuse because you seem to be suggesting uh, this morning in this interview with your description of the first class cabin and in previous interviews that these women are lying. The real reason that women who have been sexually abused don't come forward to talk about their stories is precisely this, that all too often they are accused of being liars. Are you saying that these women are lying? That's your characterization, because you need to characterize it that way to try to make me the bad guy. No, but no, here's no, 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 the no, 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 do you believe these women are lying or not? Nobody's trying to paint you as a bad guy. We just want an answer. Straight talk. It, it, it doesn't matter whether they're lying of or not. Of course it matters. What matters, it, listen, it doesn't matter whether they're lying or not. What matters is that the train is going off the cliff. We're taking our eye off of that <laughs> no, and Mr. we're getting Mr. involved in other issues. Stop it right there. It doesn't matter whether they're lying or not. All that matters is that the train is going off the cliff. Every bad person in history has used this logic. This is ends justify the means. When people say the ends justify the means, this is what they're talking about. Anything and everything is on the table because the train is going off the cliff up to and including truth. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. And you don't get to complain about the left doing it if you're fine with your own side doing it. That's hypocrisy. Okay? We've engaged in this sort of reverse hypocrisy where we say, well, the left doesn't care about truth, so why should we? No, see, that's bad morality. Good morality would be, we care about the truth, so why doesn't the left? Truth matters. Facts matter. And it doesn't matter whether you're, whether your boy Trump is the one who's, who's lying. It doesn't matter whether your girl Hillary is the one who's lying. Lies are bad. Untruths are bad. And the fact that we have been saying that untruths are okay because Trump is saying them, and that untruths about policy are okay too. And it's not just untruths about, about silliness like the, the popular vote. It's also the fact that he's telling blatant lies about how the economy is working, and they're not true, and everybody knows it's not true. But because it's politically beneficial, they do it, right? Stephen Moore, we talked about this last week, is an economist who served with Reagan and who said, I don't believe in any of the stupid nostrums that Trump is pushing about free trade and economics. But, you know, if people want it, they ought to get it good and hard, basically. Well, no, no, it doesn't make it true just because people want it. If we're going to be able to do good Trump, bad Trump, if we're going to be able to call out people when they do things that are wrong, your allegiance and my allegiance cannot be to a human being. We can't change our allegiance to the truth based on the person who's lying. We can't change our allegiance to fundamental principles based on the person in charge. If you were a free trader when Barack Obama was in office, but now you've turned into a protectionist when Trump is, think about why. If you're somebody who thought that it was bad for, for Obama to bully companies, but now you think it's fine for Trump to bully companies, why don't you think about why that is? Principle, principle, principle. I know everybody on the, uh, on the Trump people, they go, well, pragmatism, pragmatism. Okay, prag pragmatism is just an easy way of saying, let the guy do whatever he wants to do, and I'll sit here until it affects me. That's not what politics is about. Because every time human beings have done that, every time they've said to a powerful man, you do what you want to do, and I'll wait to make judgments until it affects me, 
the, what, what is followed is inevitably not a good thing. Inev- no one deserves that level of trust. No human being deserves that level of trust. Okay, meanwhile, the good news is the Democrats are in similar disarray. I mean, we're not in disarray on the right. I think that we're in danger of moral peril, but I don't think the right is in disarray, except for some of the interfighting that's occurring over these principles. The left is in total disarray. Joe Lieberman, uh, he was complaining that the far left is about to try and take over the, the Democratic Party. He should know. He was ousted uh, back in 2004, 2005 from his own party for not being far left enough. I mean, here's my fear of, about the future of the Democratic Party, that uh, in a way, relatively speaking, Hillary Clinton was uh, representative of, you might say, the center left of the Democratic Party, not the pure left. Uh, now I think there'll be a real attempt by uh, the, the left left in the Democratic Party to take over the party, and I don't think that's the um, way to go. Uh, to make it an effective party. It's certainly not the party that I got drawn to when John F. Kennedy was president. It's not the party that I worked so hard for uh, when Bill Clinton was was president, and it's not going to be a winning party. So he, he thinks they're going to move far to left. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi, she says there's no reason to shift direction. Everything is going just great, the, the, old, the old crone uh, who, who's been going around losing elections for the last eight years. The Democratic Party is in a moment of questioning about its identity. You were reelected uh, to lead the Democrats in the House. What do you tell Democrats who want a new direction? And, and then go to you, what are you going to do differently? Well, I don't think that people want a new direction. Our values unify us, and our values are about supporting America's working families. That is one that everyone is in agreement on. What we want is a better connection of our message uh, to, uh, to working families in our country, and that clearly in the in the election showed that that message wasn't coming through but uh, we are united in terms of the security of our country which is our first responsibility to be smart and strong and not reckless in how we protect the american people uh, strong in how we uh, protect our economy okay so the democrats continue to be in disarray that's the good news with leaders like nancy pelosi how could they possibly go wrong? Guys, I just want to say this, you know, about, about just final note on Trump before we get to things I like and things I don't. I want him to do good things. I'm criticizing for the same reason I criticized Obama. I have more hope that Trump does good things than Obama would do good things. But the criticism doesn't change just because of the person in office, okay? Bottom line is, this is not coming from a place of I just want to beat up Trump. It isn't. It really isn't. Believe me, for my own career's sake, I wish I could sit here and praise Trump all day. But I'm not going to do that if he does things that are wrong, and neither should you. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So, things I like. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that's now making its way up the bestseller list. You know why this is happening. It's because everybody's panicking about Trump and going over the top. It's a book by Sinclair Lewis called It Can't Happen Here. This was written in 1935, really written about Huey Long. Um, and, uh, and the basic concept of it is there's this guy who lives in Vermont, and there's this sort of demagogue who's running, who's very reminiscent of a uh, name named Buzz Windrip, who's running for president of the United States, uh, and, uh, and he's accompanied by somebody who's very clearly uh, sort of a, a, a mashup of, of Goebbels and, and Ernst Röhm. And uh, it's the, the book, it's not, it's, not a, it's not an amazing book by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it is an intense book. 
and it does give you sort of a glimpse into what dictatorship is like. Uh, and it's, it's imaginative. It's really interesting to read about the politics of the 1930s because there really was no conservative movement in the United States at the time. The, the only difference between the, the Democrats and the Republicans is that the Republicans were slightly less socialist than the Democrats. Uh, but, and it does demonstrate really what the, what the Buckley movement did for conservatism because the, the person who's, who's sort of the anti-dictator is m modeled on a senator named Arthur Vandenberg from Michigan uh, who was a very, very moderate Republican, like a Rockefeller Republican. Um, but, it, but the book itself is really interesting. It's got some very interesting moments. Uh, and there are certain parts of it that are a little bit creepy just when it talks about the mentality of some of the people who back Buzz Windrip, uh, kind, of, kind of fascinating. Okay, other things that I like. Uh, so Saturday Night Live has finally figured out that it's okay to mock Hillary, but only after she's, only after she's disappeared. Uh, so they, they mocked Hillary uh, the other night because there have been all these, these Hillary sightings where she's suddenly showing up at a bookstore or she's suddenly showing up in the woods. And so SNL uh, did, a, did a skit about it. Bigfoot, Chupacabra, the Loch Ness Monster. All rarely seen, all shrouded in mystery. And tonight, we're headed to the woods of Westchester County to search for the most elusive legend of all, Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> I'm Rafe DeGraw. Wait, did you hear that? With my partner, Coop Dixon. There's something here, man. And this is The Hunt for Hill. Our search begins in the woods of Chappaqua, where Hillary Clinton has recently been sighted by a bunch of white people with Facebook accounts. But where was she now? We set out to find her, trap her, and thank her. And for that, we needed help. So, Michelle, you've seen Hillary Clinton? I have. I was in my kitchen washing pans when I saw something moving through the woods. It was blonde, about five foot six. It seemed like it kind of wanted some time to itself, so I immediately started running after it. I just want to thank you. Welcome. Hillary! Hillary, That's right. You did a great job. We decided to check out the spot where Michelle had her sighting to see if there was, was any train. Actually, SNL, Trump was very upset in SNL for making fun of him. It made fun of Hillary, too, obviously, there. Uh, he was upset about them for, for, this particular, for this particular sketch about him tweeting. Seth, I thought I told you to turn off your phone. I'm sorry, Mrs. Lehman. I think someone retweeted me. Seth, you're just some random kid in high school. Who would retweet, retweet you? <laughs> Kellyanne, I just retweeted the best tweet. I mean, wow, what a great, smart tweet. <laughs> Mr. Trump, we're in a security briefing. I know, but this could not wait. It was from a young man named Seth. He's 16, he's in high school, and I really did retweet him, seriously. This is real. He really did do this. Well, sir, you're the president-elect, so I guess you can do whatever you want, but we'd really like to fill you in on Syria. God, Seth seems so cool. <laughs> His Twitter bio says he wants to make America great again. That is cool, sir. It also says he loves the Anaheim Ducks. Okay, see, there is a reason, actually, that Donald tweets so much. He does it to distract the media from his business conflicts and all the very scary people in his cabinet. Oh, that does make sense. Very clever, sir. Actually, that's not why I do it. I do it because my brain is bad. <laughs> but I promise I'm done retweeting. I'm ready to buckle down and get to work. Joe, you're not even watching the show. Hey, sorry, baby. You know I love the tweet. 
You see my new profile picture? It's a skull with two big guns going through its head, and then the word infidel right above it. Babe, that's psycho. You're only gonna attract psychos. Whoa! I just got retweeted. By who? Oops, I did it again. <laughs> Mr. Trump, please stop retweeting all these okay, random. So I, I, I will give it to the. I will give this to Trump. Um, he has a point. This is a terrible sketch. <laughs> I will give that to Trump. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't help when they're doing a skit about you tweeting and then you start tweeting about it. It's just not that great. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. Let's do it. Okay, so Van Jones, uh, who is a very nice guy, wrong about everything, communist. Uh, he, he was on CNN, and he was talking about race, and he decided that it's, it's very important to debunk the notion that people are colorblind. No one can be colorblind. Here's Van Jones. Uh, but without anybody acknowledging it, there is now this little camp of folks who come across as very elitist, that look down on red state voters, who think that Republicans are dumb people. And that has become acceptable in the Democratic Party, and it makes that party disrespectful to so many Americans. And then you have the Republican Party, who see themselves in their heart of hearts as being a party of colorblind meritocracy. That is their great belief about themselves. And yet somehow that you also have a party where a lot of racial resentment and a camp of even neo-Nazis have set up camp in their party. And if you point it out to them, they get mad at you, not at the neo-Nazis. So both parties, both parties have big blind spots and also great virtues, and neither party wants to deal with its own stuff. They keep pointing at the other. Okay, that's not completely accurate. So there are some of us who have been calling out the alt-right for a long time. There are some people in the Republican Party, I'm sure, who are, who are not doing a good enough job on this. But the fact is that while, while a huge swath of the Republican Party will call out the alt-right to the point where Donald Trump has to disown it, the Democratic Party had Black Lives Matter on stage with them, with them. Okay, they, they actually, at the Democratic National Convention, I mean, the convention was built around people like Sabrina Fulton showing up uh, and the mother of Michael Brown showing up and... You know, what's the point of this other than to pander to a particular group of people? Richard Spencer did not show up at the Republican National Convention. Right? Neither did any of the alt-right people that, that are, are so fond of being quoted, you know, the box days of the world. Those people were not on stage at the convention. The Black Lives Matter movement basically proclaims that America is a deeply racist, unalterably racist country. And the only way to cure that is for white people to acknowledge their privilege uh, and, and also by removing cops from every inner city in, in the United States. That sort of stuff is being celebrated by the Democratic Party. Identity politics of the left is accepted inside the Democratic Party. What I've been fighting against for a lot of this election cycle is the, is the identity politics that's now being embraced by a few people. I won't say a huge, large number, but embraced by a few people on the right. I don't like identity politics. Trying to equate the two sides, trying to pretend that left and right are totally the same when it comes to identity politics, it's, it's just as honest. It isn't, okay? It, it's not honest. The, the, the left embraces and loves identity politics. The right does not. Uh, the right historically has fought identity politics, and they should continue to do so. Okay, well, speaking tonight at Yeshiva University in New York, we're supposed to, I think we have a, a hall like a thousand people are expected to fill that uh, and then tomorrow night I am at City University of New York at Stony Brook so I'll be there and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with all the latest updates quick thing before I go just have to mention this because this was the greatest story and I forgot to do it in things I like uh, the uh, the funeral for Fidel Castro uh, they were they were trying to to push his coffin on a broken truck and uh, that's what happened the truck broke uh, it broke in the middle of the funeral and they actually had to get out and push the truck no better send off for that piece of human sleaze. So that makes me very happy. So we'll end on that happy note. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.
We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 